Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. It's the Messiah Community Radio Talk Show. This is Michael James Lauren, your host. Don Everett's our special guest, the author of The Reluctant Witness, Discovering the Delight of Spiritual Conversations. Interesting topic because uh, we need to challenge ourselves as Christians to get out and spread the word. Welcome to the program. Well, thank you, Michael. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand. From headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom, and we're for creators. Uh, the Reluctant Witness, that's right away, you know, I thought, wow, I, I want to have this uh, this pastor on the uh, the program, this uh, this author, because we really do need to challenge ourselves in, in these times when we can be preoccupied, I mean, with so much, you know, like important things like uh, Facebook and Twitter and checking our email and all that kind of thing. And then we forget that we're supposed to spread the word. That's right. And, uh, you know, I imagine every age and, you know, uh, in the 2000 years of the church has had its own struggles. But, but for sure, one of ours is we are frenetic. We are very busy. And, you know, with, with some of the cultural changes, um, you know, our overarching finding from the research is that the church is kind of losing her voice. You know, we, we are not having as many spiritual conversations as we used to have with each other or with non-Christians. And so it's an important topic. It's pretty urgent, I think. Yeah, I uh, asked my wife, I said in preparation for the interview, what do you think about all this? And, uh, you know, she said, I think that it struggles with the fact that it's sometimes it's difficult to have these spiritual conversations or spreading the word because sometimes you are afraid that maybe people might be offended. Is that where we want to start? Is that is that the place that people don't, they think that they're going to offend somebody? Yeah, that's up there on the list. Uh, you know, in, in the research project, we talked with Christians and non-Christians and surveyed them all alike. But 
one of the top reasons uh, why people avoid or don't have spiritual conversations uh, is the fear of offense. They, they are afraid of offending other people. And, and, and we got to drill into that a little bit because it turns out, you know, we have these worst nightmares in our head about what's going to happen if we bring Jesus up in conversation. And those aren't always true. But what is true is that we, we perceive that we might be offending people. And that's, uh, that's one of the larger reasons why uh, we're hesitant and we avoid spiritual conversations. It, the cat's got our tongue. Uh, and, and, uh, and, and we're just not talking about the faith as much as we used to. It's funny, you could talk about anything else, even sports teams, or we we can disagree on a lot of things, but it's just amazing, though, when it comes to Jesus, Christianity in particular, that it's an all-out fight sometimes with with these conversations, but, you know, I'm sure there, there are different ways, there's the digital element, right, to your book as far as today that they can share it online in different ways that uh, on Facebook or uh, social media. Is that becoming more popular now? It is. Uh, it didn't, uh, I, you know, you never know what you're going to find when you do a research project. And I think people going in maybe anticipated a, a more full move to digital conversations. But uh, we found that people's preferred uh, method, preferred mode for a spiritual conversation is still face-to-face. So that, that still is far and away people's preferred way of having a deeper conversation. But what we did find, and this is interesting, even our face-to-face conversations, even all of our relationships that where we get face-to-face tend to have digital elements to them. And so maybe you and I are talking over coffee one morning uh, at, at a coffee place, but there are maybe five texts, an email, a you gotta get Instagram, and you got to take a selfie. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And all of these things are seeded into our conversation uh, in, in a way that you know, I'm kind of a middle-aged person. I tend to like not countenance digital stuff as much, but for a lot of people, it's very, very real. And uh, it's interesting finding out why that is. And and actually, you know, there are some people and there are reasons that uh, digitally communicating helps people open up quicker. So we, we can get into that in detail if you want, but so so there are actually some real benefits and opportunities to having a digital element to conversations, the fact that it's, it's asynchronous, it's not happening in time, right? You and I talking right now, when I stop talking, you're going to talk. And um, we're talking synchronous face-to-face, but when things are asynchronous, like I send you something, well, you get to wait, you get to think, and you get to maybe write a long response. That, that, there's ways that that actually enables people to go deeper quicker and, you know, there's negatives to the digital conversation space, too, uh, that we could talk about. But it, no, it's, that's an interesting it's point. Mm-hmm. A very interesting point. You, you brought up that uh, it's not always that way when you first read literature on uh, witnessing. It was always about kind of like someone being put on trial and someone has to be right and someone has to be wrong. And sometimes apologetics gets into that. And so that made me think a little bit where you give someone a little bit of time to actually digest what you're saying. And uh you know, so that was interesting. You say that spiritual conversations are serious and sober events, but that's a myth that people think they are. And so I want to ask you something because there was this church, um, not really a, ch- well, yeah, it was a church that had a craft brewing company in the church. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so people 
could come and uh, hear about Jesus and have a beer and just in the, they could just talk and maybe have a spiritual conversation per se. And uh, it, would you approve of that? Is, is that is that okay? I mean, that's kind of a loaded question. Yeah, well, I, I guess what I would say is this: one of the things that's changed in the last twenty five years, and in our research, we did we did a similar study twenty five years ago. So we're we're looking at what's changed in the last twenty five years. And one of the big things that ha- that has changed is um, that that there's not as much trust as there used to be for the church, for Christianity, or for Christians. There's a lot of distrust. Uh, the average non-Christian kind of starts in a default posture of not trusting Christians. I mean, that's different. That that's a that's a unique landscape. Um, if, if you're talking the modern back in the modern era the church was a trusted institution and Christians were, they had social capital because they were Christians and church leaders, um, you know, were looked up to and were seen as authorities and what they said, you know, really you had some social coin to it. And, and, you know, a lot of that's changed, right? And because of that, uh, one of the things that we have found is that building trust and gaining a hearing with a non-Christian actually is an evangelistic activity. Because if someone is starting from a place of distrust, mm. you don't jump right in with, well, Lord, liar, lunatic, and let me prove to you, you know, <laughs> here's the evidence for the resurrection. That's all great stuff to get at. But if someone's unreceptive, if someone's distrustful, your first move as a believer is, is to gain trust. And to gain and to gain a hearing. So does having a brew pub, <laughs> a, a kind of culturally understandable venue for community and conversation. Can that help Christians develop trust? I imagine it could. Yeah. I mean, you know, I sometimes, I don't know why we get a little fanatical. At least some Christians, I think I did when I first came to the Lord, uh, if mm-hmm. you know, I had to be right or I don't know, but sometimes we can rub people the wrong way. We're going to be right back in just a bit. We're going to commercial. We have our special guest, Don Everett's, the author of The Reluctant Witness, Discovering the Delight of Spiritual Conversations. We'll have more right after this. Sennheiser has been continuously setting trends in the audio industry. Wherever people care passionately about recording, transmitting, or playing sound, Sennheiser will be there. Artists, disc jockeys, scientists, sound technicians, or demanding music lovers, the Sennheiser name always stands for premium products, headphones, microphones, and all-around audio solutions. The ultimate in sound quality. Sennheiser. All right, Don Everts is with us. He's the author of The Reluctant Witness, Discovering the Delight of Spiritual Conversations. Don, he is reluctant to call himself an evangelist, but for decades he has found himself talking about Jesus with all sorts of skeptical and curious people. He's a writer for Lutheran Hour Ministries, associate pastor of Bonham Presbyterian Church in St. Louis, Missouri, and he's been a speaker as well. And so uh, where, do we, where do you want to take all this? Because, uh, you know, Sometimes people like a, a good spiritual conversation. It just, it certainly, I don't know what it is. Sometimes we're, we're just so into our own world and we have so many stressors and something just changes when you bring uh, God up, right? Or Jesus. Well, it, it does. And, and uh, in, in some good ways, in some awkward ways. But, you know, one of the, one of the big uh, findings for us that frankly surprised me and excited me uh, is that, you know, we have this huge uh, fear of offense. And so we're, we're really hesitant. It feels like the gospel is out of season right now. And, and so the, we're, we're more hesitant to, to talk. But one of the things that we discovered is that Christians and non-Christians alike 
enjoy spiritual conversations. Mm. Uh, and and that they the, the two most common um, emotions experienced, we ask folks, recall, think about your last spiritual conversation and um, what were the emotions you felt? What, what was a part of it and all that? And the top two answers, and this is among Christians and non-Christians alike, were peace and laughter. Hmm. And, and, and just behind that, there were some negative ones too, but just behind that is joy and exhilaration. And so it, it, it's realizing that actually people enjoy spiritual conversations. There's research, not ours, but other research has shown that uh, perpetual small talk, people don't enjoy that. Uh, the, the research revealed that people have experienced great life change because of spiritual conversations. And it even showed, and th this blew me away, Michael, that how people feel, how glad people are about their last spiritual conversation uh, isn't affected by whether or not there was conflict. You know, I think we have this fear that if I bring Jesus up with a friend who's not a believer, there'll be conflict, it'll ruin the friendship uh, and, and all that. And mm -hmm. not to say that there's things we could do, you know, obviously we could ruin friendships <laughs> by doing things in foolish ways. But uh, the research shows us that even when there's conflict, that actually doesn't move the needle on how glad people are that they had that spiritual conversation. So it's kind of a myth that I, I think we're, because of the changing landscape in our culture, I think we are, we've grown more fearful than we need to be. And it's one thing to be sober, right? It's one thing to recognize, okay, the landscape's changing. And so how do I adapt? How do I incarnate? How do I talk about Jesus in a relevant way now? Uh, but I think we've gotten overly fearful. So part of the message of the book is just kind of saying to the church who's lost her voice, you know, I think the cat's got our tongue, but I think we're, we're overly fearful and more fearful than we would need to be, actually. Yeah, you know, something of that, I like that you wrote The Reluctant Witness. I think that was a good uh, part of the title mm -hmm. of the book. Again, Don Everett's our special guest. The Reluctant Witness, uh, that assumes, obviously, that we're a bit reluctant, <laughs> you know? Yeah, uh, that's right. And, that, and, that, and frankly, Michael, that's my story. I mean, I, I guess I'm uniquely positioned to write this book because, you know, I grew up an introvert. We moved every couple of years. I was shy. Um, and, and I didn't want to bring Jesus up. Even when I came to faith, it, it, it felt weird to me uh, to do that. I, I've been a really reluctant uh, witness. And uh, just the story, just how God has so gently and kindly and persistently wooed me and shown me and convicted me that, um, that talking about the faith is actually a part of what it means to be his disciple and that it's actually enjoyable and it doesn't kill you. And um, it's a way of blessing and loving other people. So, you know, I, I guess I figure, Michael, if, if God can get me to where he's gotten me, I think he could move anywhere. What do you think about, I mean, the fact is that you don't see a whole lot of evangelists like it was. And I, mm -hmm. I hate mm -hmm. to say it, but I, I refuse to believe, this is just me, you know, but I have you on the program to verify this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you, know, you don't see the Billy Grahams anymore. You don't see evangelism as a big part of the church anymore. Um, have we gotten too intellectual? I mean, what is it about the fact that people would enjoy having big tent type yeah. of meetings or uh, getting the word out or, or even a radio, a minister or a ministry or even on television, you would see more people talking about Jesus. What's going on? That's a good question. Probably a number of things, uh, but, but a couple that, uh, that we found in this study. So 
So one of them has to do with this whole trust issue uh, and the reputation of the church and Christians in general. Um, that people's preferred part, you know, there was, there was a time where it was, I want to hear from an authority figure, right? I, I want to hear from an expert. I want to, I want to hear from someone who knows Christianity in and out. Uh, and, and frankly, if they can convince me of their arguments, that's compelling to me. Um, but things have been shifting. So for example, we asked people, who's your preferred uh, conversation partner for talking about spiritual things? And the number one uh, uh, preferred conversation partner is a friend. Hmm. People, people want to talk about spiritual matters with someone they trust, someone who knows them, and someone that they know, and they know how they live their life. So for a guy like me, right, I'm like a pastor and a Christian writer and everything. So religious professionals, we're, we're a little bit a ways down the list. <laughs> we're, we're beneath family members. We're beneath mom, dad, et cetera. So, you know, maybe 50 years ago... I'm sorry to interrupt. Is this fake news or is this... I'm just joking. Just yeah, I know. Yeah, exactly. Yes, so, so it's. I think one of the things that has happened is I don't want to hear... The, the average non-Christian now is saying, I don't want to hear from an expert. I, I don't want to hear from someone who has rhetorical flourishes. I want someone who I get to see their life and see it lived out and who I trust. I want to talk to them. And so that's, you know, for a religious professional like me, that's kind of a bummer, but it's good news for the church because what, what it means is that we are surrounded by lost people who, who enjoy having spiritual conversations and they don't want to do it in a special time or a special place or when the clouds have parted and the sun rays are coming down. They want to do it in everyday life with people that they know and that they trust. And so how does that change, though? How does that change? Because, I mean, essentially we're all the same, except for the digital media part and everything. And uh, the Billy Graham Association, I mean, huge. Everything was around evangelism. And now, I mean, I hate to say, you know, I don't know how long they're going to be around for. Because <laughs> they were relying on evangelism. There's no more evangelism. So, I mean, it, has it just gone into culture, as you're saying, and that uh, we just don't want to be bothered with the event part of it. I mean, it kind of makes sense. Let me just say, it's kind of almost like when people go shopping, you know, they don't want to go to an actual building anymore. They want to deliver it via Amazon. Tell us about Barna Research, because you're referring to research that was done. Right. Barna is an illustrious name, but tell us a little bit about what went into, into the research. Yeah, good question. So, I mean, there's just such smart, faithful Christians working at Barna who... Um, are able to do both qualitative and quantitative research. So that means the qualitative is like in-depth, long, on-site conversations with people. And then the quantitative is going to scale and, and doing like uh, statistically uh, very carefully orchestrated uh, and calibrated surveys of people uh, with thousands of people to, to be able to get a sense and then combine all that to have a sense of What's the average non-Christian's experience? What's the average uh, Christian's experience? And then, you know, they're, then they're able to take all that and cut it anyway. Well, what's the experience of young people? What's the experience of middle-aged people? What's the experience? And so that research has been hugely uh, helpful to us. And one example would be one of the questions that probably gave us eventually the most insight. One of the questions was, how many spiritual conversations have you had in the last year? And it's interesting because three quarters of all Christians, and this is true for non-Christians too, but let's, let's take our tribe <laughs> at this point. Three quarters of all Christians 
have had nine or fewer spiritual conversations in the last year. And, and, and that doesn't mean evangelistic conversation. That's you and I are having a spiritual Can I just uh, interject for a minute? I want to ask you, I mean, when I first came to Christ, okay, I was talking to people, maybe 50 people a day. I mean, something was going oh, on. Yeah. And, that, uh, yeah, that's right. That's right. I was shocked when I found out uh, we're just not talking to each other. So that's sobering. But then what that allowed them, uh, the Barna folks to do is to say, okay, the one quarter of Christians who are actually having lots of spiritual conversations, what's different between them and the reluctant folks? And they went back over all the other questions and they actually found that there are five distinct areas where eager conversationalists are different than reluctant conversationalists. And they're all things that you're not born with necessarily, but that anyone can grow in. So that's, that's like a huge insight. So if we want in our own personal life, or if we want those in our church to have more spiritual conversations, what it tells us is we can try to build these five attributes into their lives, and that will correlate with them having more spiritual conversations. All right, Don, so tell me what are some of the things that people have a hard time reconciling as Christians when they read a book like this, The Reluctant Witness, Discovering the Delight of spiritual conversations, do they feel uh, shameful that they're not doing it? Or do, how, how do people really begin to change? Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, that's partly informed by my own story and how God and his spirit worked in my life. And it's partly informed by scripture and what we read in the scriptures. So like for me, you know, when I came to faith, there was a sense, you know, kind of almost like a guilt. Uh, you better tell others about Jesus. And, and, you know, you won't enjoy it and neither will they, but, you know, we got to do it. And that, that actually wasn't, didn't move me. That wasn't compelling to me. But what I found compelling in my own life, and, and this really is at the heartbeat of this book, is this other thread throughout scripture that not, that not only says that it's, it's our calling to share Jesus with others, but that says that it's actually delightful and beautiful. And so you, you think of the language of Isaiah who, who said, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. It's not that our feet are beautiful, it's our readiness, our willingness to talk with others. There's, there's something beautiful about that. And that, is, and that is actually what has won me over is this sense that Jesus calls us to abundant life. And part of abundant life is getting to engage in spiritual conversations with other, where if it is God's will and if his spirit moves, we eventually get to a place where we get to tell people good news and we get to tell them about Jesus. And the scripture is clear that that's actually a wonderful, delightful thing to do. It's not just right. It's not just needed and necessary. It's beautiful. Uh, and I actually find that really compelling and, and, and where people say, well, maybe I'll, maybe I'll dip my toes in the waters of witness um, and, and what people find, this is the case with me and, and the research bears this out as well. When people try this, when they start engaging in more conversations, they begin to realize, well, that didn't, that wasn't as bad as I was imagining it would be. Uh, we, and, and I think in particular these days, we have these founded, but perhaps exaggerated in our minds, worst case scenarios of what's going to happen if I engage people in conversation. Um, and trying it and realizing get, uh, sometimes people really do get disowned. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, exactly. And so, and so we have these harsh stories and we kind of normalize those and think, well, it's always going to be that way. And actually, so this is good news that I can proclaim to your listeners. That doesn't happen as often as we think. And, and that's research bearing, bearing that out, that people actually enjoy spiritual conversations that, 
the average new Christian, it actually took several spiritual conversations for them to come to a point of faith. And so there's no pressure, right? There's no pressure on any single conversation. Like I gotta, I gotta complete the sale. You know, I got, I gotta get them across the line before the plane lands. Close. <laughs> exactly. That's what it's. That kind of pressurized thing that that uh, causes Christians, in their own zeal, to uh, and and desire to be faithful, to to actually kind of misbehave in conversations and break rules in conversations. Do you cringe at all when people say, hey, you know what? I have my way. You have your way. Uh, I don't believe that we're to talk about it publicly. I think that, uh, you know, it's something you keep to yourself. Uh, how, how badly do you cringe when you hear that? Yeah. I mean, I've been there. <laughs> so I, I do cringe, but I also have empathy. And, uh, and, and what I want to say is, man, there's a better way. There's a better way. Like, we're, we're created as relational beings. We're, we're a part of this family of faith. Uh, and we follow a God whose heart is beating for other people. And we actually get to be a part of that. And, and your own faith will come alive in ways you've never experienced before. If you just get on that train with him, you don't have to push it, right? You don't have to be aggressive. You don't have to be mean to people. Uh, we can be like Jesus and, and get to know people and draw them near and have provocative conversations and, and love people. And, and uh, that's my response. It's not to like wag my finger and say, come on, people, let, you know, let's be a light. You know, don't, don't hide your salt in the salt shaker. My, my response is to say, and you're missing out. You're, you're, missing, you're missing out. Is this research getting to the church at all? I mean, only because, okay, mm-hmm. sometimes you can call churches, right? And you have questions. I'm sure people have a hard time with this. And maybe four or five times they might call for a men's ministry or a women's ministry or nobody calls back or, you know, you mm-hmm. fill out the connect card and you never hear from anybody. But yeah. what about people reaching out more and even welcoming people a little bit more in a, um, an outgoing yeah. Manner. yeah. How come people aren't as uh, em- embracing other people as much? Or is that an overgeneralization? Well, I, I would say the mode is shifting a little bit. So it used to be large events. We sit and we listen uh, to an expert. Uh, and so what you're seeing right now is, and, and you may be right, and I, I, don't, I don't know the numbers, but you may be right that kind of large event proclamation events are, are, are waning a bit. But you know what's on a huge rise are conversation-based evangelism ministries, ministries like Alpha, uh, ministries like, I think it's called Life Tree through group publishing. These, these are ministries that are scalable, that churches can implement them. They're localized. They have great gospel content, but they're centered around a table. It's people, people want to sit in circles. They don't want to sit in rows. And, and they want to sit in a circle and ask their questions and have their questions honored and be able to engage in conversation and not just be spoken at. So what I, I guess what I would say is if, if there is a waning in sort of places where we're sitting in rows and listening to an expert, which is, which is a beautiful thing unto itself, there is a huge rise in evangelism ministries that are, involve roundtables and people being in conversation. And then they turn and they listen to content. So there's still presentation of the gospel. There's still proclamation. But the mode of it uh, is different enough that people these days are willing to engage and willing to do it. And, and, and I found, so like at our church, we've, we've been running the Alpha program. We've been running Alpha courses for like, I don't know, 15 years now. And, uh, and, and, and what I've found is it's easy, it's easier for people in our church to invite friends and say, hey, you want to come to dinner and a movie? You know, because there's a video presentation and, 
and, and there's something it's like a it's like an easier ask and so people are are more easy or, or, or more willing to invite other people to that kind of structure so I don't think one is right or one is wrong but I will say in our in our postmodern context if you can get people around a table and talking with each other and honoring their questions and listening to the gospel presentation that seems to be picking up steam. All right. Well, I mean, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying that the vocal part of it, as far as, again, mentioning that you don't hear about conversations, and again, spiritual conversations, mm-hmm. is much on television. It seems like there's yeah. more of a, a policing going on, even in our culture, that people are whispering more than proclaiming. That's, it's, it feels yeah. like that, but... Well, it, it could. And, and, you know, the other element is, you know, like I work at Lutheran Hour Ministries, well, we, you know, when we started the Lutheran Hour radio show, proclaiming the gospel, there wasn't that much on the radio. <laughs> and so it really stood out in the landscape, in the media landscape. And, and you know this well, I mean, just the multiplicity of uh, uh, media outlets, media venues. Uh, and so it, it is harder to get noticed uh, it, it, today. And you have to do a better job of marketing and getting the word out. It's it's louder. Let's put it this way. It's a louder landscape. And so how do you get your voice noticed? How do you get the gospel noticed when, when there are, you know, almost unlimited uh, channels uh, on every kind of media possible? It, it's a challenge. You find that in Europe, are they more vocal? Do these spiritual conversations, again, about Jesus, do they, and God, you know, same thing. Do they take place more in Europe? Or what does conver- um, the uh, research say about that versus the U.S.? Yeah, so our research was just based on the U.S., but I would say just based on my experience overseas and in, in the reading that I have done, uh, I would say Europe is actually uh, where we're headed. So they, they've grown even quieter than we have. But part of what that means there, and they, they got there sooner because the kind of the postmodern shift hit there earlier. But part of what that means is that all of these like conversation-based evangelism models uh, started there earlier. So they're, they're learning how to adapt to the new age. But what you see in India, in Africa, uh, even in parts of Russia, just different places that I've been, uh, those are places where, you know, you will still see uh, there's more trust for the church in those places. And you will see the large venues with speakers and people coming out in droves to hear them. Uh, so there's, globally speaking, uh, the church is doing well. Uh, even though the church in the U.S. has to clear its throat a bit to be heard again. Yeah, you have some cool graphs in, in your book. And mm-hmm. once again, Don Everett's, our guest, The Reluctant Witness, is the name of the book, Discovering the Delight of Spiritual Conversations. Well, Don, can I call you Don or Pastor Don? No, Don's fine. <laughs> well, well, Don, I, I want to take you up on something. It says in the back of your book that this book offers fresh insights and best practices for fruitful everyday conversations. So I'm going to put you to the test. What are the, what you say, the uh, fresh insights and best practices? And maybe what are some of the things that we can avoid? Yeah, wonderful. So w- one of the things that uh, mark eager conversationalists is that they feel prepared and equipped to respond to their the non-Christian conversation partner wherever they are. They feel equipped to, to respond thoughtfully to wherever they are. This is similar to, you know, Paul wrote in Colossians that we were to do this. He said, be wise in how you walk towards outsiders, uh, uh, being figuring out how you ought to answer each person. 
That's how he put it. And so one of the things I think, I think uh, some of us, I grew up with this where you, you think evangelism, you think of a kind of um, memorized speech or a kind of trick question that you can kind of lob out there to someone and that that's what's doing evangelism. You know, um, one of the things that eager conversationalists have, I, I, th- I think, kind of tapped into is what Paul was saying, which was walk in wisdom, be thoughtful and figure out how to answer each person. So, uh, so for example, uh, we, we've developed a model and I have this in the book. So there's a really practical thing called the spiritual conversation curve. Uh, and it shows the relationship between what's the spiritual posture of the person I'm talking to. Are they unreceptive? Are they receptive or are they actively seeking? And based on what their spiritual posture is, how can I be prepared to respond to them and have the right kind of conversation based on where they are in their journey? So that like little practical tool uh, is a way that, and there's six different conversation types that are helpful based on where someone is uh, in their journey. Now, one of those conversation types is clarifying the core of the gospel. And that's where like a memorized uh, summary of the gospel or, you know, the bridge diagram or something like the, the Romans road, those things can be really, really helpful. But when I grew up, that's all I had. I had memorized information to summarize the core of the gospel. The reality is that's only helpful if someone is actively seeking. Mm. Well, what do I do? What do I do if my friend is, is unreceptive? What do I do if they're receptive? They're not actively seeking, but they're open to hearing some things. We can actually be trained, just like eager conversationalists, to learn how to respond to them right where they are, which helps them take the next step. I like it. I like it a lot. We can be civil, can't we? <laughs> we that's right. That's right. <laughs> you know, it should be a wonderful thing. I think about it that, uh, and you really need help, and we can interject the Holy Spirit in this because, I that's mean, right. my goodness, we really, uh, how could we do any of this without him, you know? I mean, it's just, it seems just impossible because there's such a uh, resistance to the things of God and uh, that spiritual element of, uh, wow, I can say it, Antichrist. You know, all this uh, uh, under that kind of spell. What would you say is the number one uh, percentage or the, you know, you did a lot of uh, research here again with Barna. And uh, what would you say is the most, the information that stumped you the most when it came to factual information about the subject of evangelism or spiritual conversations? I will say this. um, It's kind of a sober note to end on. one of the differences between eager conversationalists and reluctant conversationalists is what they believe about the gospel. And so reluctant conversationalists, when, uh, uh, and by that I mean this, what you believe about sin and hell and salvation and the cross affects how many spiritual conversations you have. And so eager conversationalists are more likely to believe orthodox teachings about sin, that we are all sinful in the eyes of God, that salvation comes only through Jesus, and that if people are not saved just by the grace of Jesus, that they spend an eternity in hell. If you, if you believe those things, you're going to have more spiritual conversations. But if you, so reluctant conversationalists on the whole, have less biblical views on those things. And, you know, the the researchers don't point to causality there, but to me, that's pretty sobering. And it just underscores 
why we need the Bible and, and why we need to be teaching the gospel and the truth of the gospel because it actually, even in an unconscious way perhaps, affects our behaviors. You did a lot of research. It's a great book, and I recommend people buy it. Don Everett is the author, our special guest, The Reluctant Witness, Discovering the Delight of Spiritual Conversations. It could challenge us all, and uh, thanks so much for being on the program. Well, thank you for having me, uh, Michael. It's been a very fun spiritual conversation. Our sponsors with over 90 years experience in developing audio electronics. Bayer Dynamics stands for innovative audio products with the highest sound quality and pioneering technology. Two business divisions, consumer and installation, provide tailored solutions for professional and private users. All products are developed in Germany and primarily manufactured by hand, from headphones to microphones and conference and interpretation systems. For more information, please visit north-america.bearedynamic.com. And by Vocal Booth to Go carries a complete line of products and accessories specifically designed for voiceover actors, audio professionals, podcasters, producers, and studio owners to help them get professional results for their clients. It's your go-to place for sound treatment, soundproofing, portable, and mobile vocal booths. Visit VocalBoothToGo.com for more information. And Oralex Acoustics has one mission, to make you sound your best. Thousands of satisfied Oralex customers have experienced improved acoustics, along with free expert advice, total sound control products from Oralex. Enjoy widespread use among prominent artists, producers, engineers, and corporations worldwide. Remember, it's not your gear, it's the room. Visit Oralex.com for more information. And great audio starts with great gear. And Zoom's 30-year reputation promises quality and affordability. Visit zoom-na.com today for recorders, audio interfaces, effects pedals, and more. We're Zoom. And we're for creators.